details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. For a minute, I, I I forgot I hosted a podcast. I I had a Chris Matthews moment. Oh man! All right, my allergies are going nuts. What's going on? It is uh, Michael Graff in exile for a Friday. It is January 29th, two thousand ten, as we broadcast to you. On a semi-daily basis from this America's fifth largest city, Phoenix, Arizona, strapped in the middle of desert Urbania, doing this here show. All right. Well, I got to cover the State of the Union address. Uh, We have a lot to get to there. Uh, Barack Obama with a, a speech that was long on style and short on substance. Well, where have we heard that before, huh? A lot of platitudes in there. We'll review it. Some of the post-game comments, if you will. We've got we got to get to Chris Matthews, who apparently the speech was so moving to him. Not only did he get a tingle up his leg this time, but apparently it was so good... And I don't know what this even means, but it was so good that he forgot Barack Obama was black. I guess I guess Barack Obama, holy mackerel, he didn't start doing that or talk about fried chicken or whatever it is in in the speech. I, I forgot he was black. We, we have to play that for you. If you think I'm taking it out of context, you could almost make... If you just hear it for the first time, especially if you just hear the first few seconds, you could almost think that somebody could take it out of context. But then the more Chris Matthews explains his bizarre comment, the more it becomes obvious he's just a racist. And I don't even think he realizes how racist the comment was. It's odd because... He was one of the first people, and, and these are the are the type of people, these, uh, you know, the, these MSNBC hardcore liberal types, your Keith Olbermans, that 
wanted to make sure that we didn't make race an issue. And yet they're the first people to make race an issue. You know, not once, not once while I was watching the State of the Union address did I look at Barack Obama and go, man, he's black. This is unbelievable. I, I you know, uh, you know, that's, I can't even, this is unfathomable. Where did this black guy come from and what did he do with the president? Oh, wait, we've had other black people in government before. It's like, it's revolutionary. These people, these liberals, they get so excited. Um, Hate to tell you this, but yeah, if this were 1873, it would be really exciting. Speaking of 1873, Barack Obama with some fantastic ideas right out of the 19th century to help revive our economy, including building trains. I'm not making this up. That's one of his that's one of his revolutionary ideas to help us out. We're going to build some high-speed trains. Wow. Man, that's awesome. High-speed trains. You know, you know what else we should probably be doing? We should be building more telegraph wire, too. And more steamboats for the Mississippi River. <laughs> you know, I have nothing against high-speed trains, okay? I have nothing against... I want to make this point because I, I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday's show. I have no axe to grind with the concept of building uh, trains, uh, tr- building high-speed trains or something like that, Okay. I think it's a good idea, except we just don't have the money to pay for them. We'll get into this uh, a little bit more in detail uh, on the program. You know, this State of the Union address, it really brought to mind a lot of the catastrophic failures that have already taken place during not only the Barack Obama administration, but the the Democrats reign in the in the House and Senate. I look at, uh, there's there's a list. I've made a list and I've checked it twice and we're going to go through it just uh, on the program here. Several things that have just really come to mind. Well, Barack Obama was giving his State of the Union address and things that he really didn't point out. And, and I really think that it should be brought up. I realize that he spoke for over 70 minutes and he talked about national security for what, five minutes of it? Um, and of course, less, more like, 60 seconds if you take out all the applause. The guy finishes a sentence. And this is true for every president in every State of the Union address. Is it possible that we could just give a State of the Union address where, where the either the Republicans or the Democrats don't interrupt every sentence with clapping? Could we hold the applause to the end? If I was the president, I'd be like, all right, listen, I know you all love me and I know I'm so great, but... If we can, and you're all gonna slob, you know, you're you're all gonna slobber all over me. You're gonna drool all over me, and 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 just kiss my ass. At least if you're part of my party. But if we could just hold the applause till the end, I mean, that would it would make all of our evenings shorter. It would really do a a great service for everybody. I want to get out of here faster. You want to get out of here faster. Uh, for the sake of tradition, let's just do that so we can get this State of the Union address over with. Already gave you my State of the Union address on Wednesday and how I would handle it. My State of the Union address was uh, much more succinct and much more accurate than the one that we got uh, on Wednesday night. But uh, again, 
you know, we don't always get what we want out of these things. All right. Uh, but Barack Obama is doing one thing that is, this is very important. And I'm glad that finally we get the government to step in and do something about this. Man, how many times on this program, actually, the, this is not really a loaded question, actually. How many times on this program have I gone on endless tirades about why I won't watch college football? What's the primary reason that I will not watch Division I college football and I don't take it very seriously? Well, the primary reason is because it does not have a playoff system. Well, Barack Obama, his administration, and, and I, I can't just say Barack Obama and I can't just say his administration. I can't even just say the Democrats. The government has stepped in, led by a Republican, but he's, it's Orrin Hatch, so that doesn't even really count. That's just an idiot. Uh, led by an idiot Republican, Orrin Hatch, they've decided to step in and handle the college football playoff system, the BCS system. I'm now making this up. The government is going to get involved in college football and getting a playoff system going. <laughs> Because, because that's very important. That is obviously their responsibility. That's something that really needs to be done. What, with uh, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan completely wrapped up, Osama bin Laden is in our custody. Unemployment is now at a whopping 0%. We are operating at a budget surplus. The debt has been wiped out. Poverty is over with. Homelessness is gone. And absolutely everything, yeah, all nuclear weapons have been uh, disposed of. Everything is fixed. So therefore, we have nothing left to do. So we might as well tackle that long-awaited issue of a college football playoff system. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a second. Wait. Not everything is fixed. Unemployment is still out there. All those other problems that I just mentioned, they still exist apparently. So why is the government getting involved in the college football playoff system? And you wonder why I advocate that we just kick them all out in 2010. That's, that's my official slogan, 2010, let's kick them all out. Really, I don't care, Republican, Democrat, listen to me. I know, I, I get on here and, and I, I have been all over the Obama administration. I've been all over Democrats. And the reason is because they're the ones that are in power. I, I, I make this point almost every show. And I think that people are going to get the idea that I'm being completely one-sided here. If Republicans were in control, I would, uh, and if they were doing half of this crap, I would have a field day with them. But they are in a minority position. They can't stop anything. Orrin Hatch is a Republican. He's proposed, he wants to, the Federal Trade Commission to look into antitrust violations by college football, by the NCAA. And I think it's appalling. But he's not from my state. I can't vote him out. I can just tell the people of Utah, hey, do the right thing and get rid of this asshole. Get rid of him. 2010, kick him all out. Is he even uh, up for a re-election? I don't even know. I don't know if he's a senator, so I don't know. Uh, only about a third of the Senate is up for re-election. Everybody in the House is, though. So everybody in the House can get kicked out. Everybody. And while I do think there are a few representatives in there that are, are fine and they can be kept, uh, for the most part, I think just, just a broad house cleaning just... Let's take the bleach and pour it all over this bitch and just get on our hands and knees and just scrub until it, all the dirt is gone 
from this thing. All right. We need we need a broad, a broad cleanup in the House and the Senate for that matter. And I hope that America does that. I'd love to just see uh, Obama talked about pressing the reset button in his State of the Union address. That's what I want to see done. Election 2010, a great big old reset button gets pressed and a lot of problems get fixed. They can't get any worse. What could what would be the harm in throwing out all the incumbents and th- just throwing everybody out? What would be the harm in it? I don't think there's any. The people of Massachusetts apparently don't think so. They they think that that's a good idea. Uh, they voted for a Republican. I still can't get over that. That's just still almost unfathomable to me. All right. Uh, well, uh, oh, this weekend, exciting sports weekend. Exciting stuff. Should I give my picks now? Maybe I should. Uh, I, I think. Uh, I think it's. I think it's worthwhile to do this. Um, maybe not. It's the Pro Bowl. So, I think Vegas does have a line on the Pro Bowl, though. Wait, hold on a minute. If they do, it's something to wager on, so I'll give a pick. Hang on a minute. Degenerate gamblers bet on the Pro Bowl. Hell, I don't even think somebody that bets... I've heard of degenerate gamblers. I knew... When I was in Vegas, I talked to a guy that would bet on WNBA games, okay? That's how you know you're a degenerate gambler. It's one thing to bet on NBA games. It's one thing to bet on pro sports. It's another to bet on the WNBA. No, not just... But he wasn't betting on WNBA. I take it he was betting on WNBA preseason games. I'm not making that up. I, I talked to a guy... I talked to a guy at the, um, where was I, where was I at? I have to, I I talked to a guy who was at the Golden Nugget. I'll never forget this guy. This guy, he, um, he goes, oh yeah, I do sports betting. I bet on, I bet on uh, Major League Baseball and the NBA. And he goes, I also bet on the WNBA. And I said, and I said, the WNBA, I I said, they're not even, he goes, yeah, preseason. I said, they, they have lines for preseason WNBA games? He's like, oh, yeah, uh, I, like the, I like the Utah Carpet Munch or whatever the hell they are uh, tonight, uh, plus the five. I'm like, really? You're going <laughs> to bet on a WNBA preseason game? And I think he was betting on like halftime totals. He wasn't even betting the, the game. He was betting on like halftime Wow. All right. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to see if they have the probe. Oh, my God. There is. There, hold on. There is. Uh, well, maybe there's not. Hold on. We're going to look here. Okay. Uh, game lines. Yes. There is a line on the Pro Bowl. Okay. First of all, there's the line in the Super Bowl. And I should point this out. The Colts are now favored by six. The game opened at four. 
and it's now at six. But the the Pro Bowl, the AFC, actually the NFC is the favorite. Is a two and a half point favorite. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the um, I'm gonna go with the AFC plus the two and a half. I have nothing scientific to base that pick on. I just I, I like to go with the underdog, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the AFC plus the two and a half. That's a pick. Thank you. <laughs> if you have extra money burning a hole in your wallet, um, spend it on something else. But if you really have to bet on something and you don't want to bet on the NBA, the NHL, you don't want to bet on golf or NASCAR or what? Hold on, what else is on here? Horse racing, uh, tennis, boxing. Um, anything else? College, college hoops, women's college hoops. Okay. You don't want to bet on any of that. You have to bet on a football game this weekend. It's just something you have to do. Then I guess take the AFC plus the two and a half there. I have no analysis because I don't even know who's playing in the damn game because well, we know that nobody from the Colts or the uh, or the Saints are playing in this game, so we know that, and we know that half the people that are supposed to be in there aren't going to be playing anyway. Speaking of the NFL today, Kurt Warner, of course, uh, Super Bowl MVP, league MVP, uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks in this generation member of the Arizona Cardinals, actually led them to a Super Bowl last year. Um, Kurt Warner called it quits today. He is retiring. I think the guy is, he's leaving while he's still at the top of his game. He figures, I took a, I took a lot of hits, got some concussions. I actually want to be able to walk around and and remember my name. I don't want my brains to turn to mashed potatoes. I don't want to be like a Vander Holyfield. I have to, you know what? That just reminded me, and I had to, I have to talk about this. Now, growing up, and this is just a, a side tangent, and I'll just finish this thought on Kurt Warner. Um, you know, it's a surefire first ballot, I think, a first ballot Hall of Famer. You, you got to, the guy won a Super Bowl MVP. He's the second most accurate passer in NFL history. There's no way this guy is not in the Hall of Fame first ballot. There's just no way. But I'm sure somebody will say, well, you know, there was a chunk of years where he didn't play very well. You know, anybody, if you can take the Arizona Cardinals to the Super Bowl, you should be in the Hall of Fame automatically. I don't care if you played one year and you led them to the Super Bowl. I still say, I still say Vince Tobin. It was it was Vince Tobin, right? Vince Tobin, the guy that got the Cardinals to the playoffs back in 1998, the coach. They ought to have that guy, and, and that was with a substantially worse team than what got to the Super Bowl in, in 2008, 2009. Um, that team, not only did they get to the playoffs in 98, but they won a playoff game against Dallas. Uh, Jake Plummer, uh, Rob Moore, Larry Centers, Frank Sanders, uh, Aeneas Williams. There's a lot. I mean, I remember a lot of the guy, Lomas Brown. That I mean, it was it was an all right team. It was not a bad team. It's just that compared with the talent they had uh, over a season ago, the 
the fact that they went into Dallas, they beat Troy Aikman and the Dallas Cowboys, that was just phenomenal. But yeah, Kurt Warner, he doesn't want his brain to turn to uh, mush and figured this might just be the time to leave. He's kind of pulling a Robert Smith in a sense. Robert Smith, you remember the uh, the all-pro running back from the Minnesota Vikings? He was 29 years old when he retired. He could have kept playing. He was at, Not only was he at the top of his game, I mean, the Minnesota Vikings were willing to pay out big time to keep him around. He walked away from the game and he said, I want to leave. Will I still have the ability to walk while I'm in great health, while I'm capable of I'm still a real I'm a I'm a young guy I'm 29 years old I can still go out and and do everything and I've made a whole bunch of money in the NFL <laughs> I've, I've had a, a good career uh, my stats are going to be forever immortalized with the Minnesota Vikings uh, until you know 10 years later when Adrian Peterson comes along uh, but still uh, he he left at the right time John Elway got out when he was on top there was nothing else for him to do, though. But it's a hard decision to make to walk away from a sport. All right, with that said, and I know I have a lot of stuff I wanted to get to, but this is something I just remembered. I, I thought about this. I didn't even write this down or put this, type this into my show notes or anything like that. You know, Evander Holyfield is still boxing. I don't know. Many of you probably don't know this. But Evander Holyfield, yeah, a lot of people thought that he retired many years ago. Now, he's 47 years old. Now, I thought he was older, actually. I thought he was in his 50s. Evander Holyfield, at the age of 47, is going to have another fight. And I don't even know against who anymore. But I do know that if they say if he wins his next two bouts, he will have a chance to fight, who is it, uh, Klitschko, I think, or somebody, for a championship. He, yeah, he wants to see if he can pull a George Foreman. But the thing is that George Foreman couldn't even really pull a George Foreman. Uh, George Foreman wasn't even that old when he had a heavyweight title. I mean, and he fought for a long time, a lot longer than he should too. But, but have you seen, okay, I have to ask you this. And I'm not saying this, I'm not trying to say this to be outrageous or disparaging in any way. I, 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 I in all sincerity, I really do mean this. Have you seen or have you heard Evander Holyfield talk? He has taken a lot of blows to the head. Now, he is capable of walking and he's capable of tying his shoes. He's capable of eventually putting together a sentence. But that's about it. He's, yeah, he's right. He's in several years, <clears throat> even that will probably not be uh, something that he's be able to do. Okay, he's not going to be able to have the. Uh, he's not going to have motor skills. He's probably not going to have any cognitive ability. Uh, very shortly, the guy took a lot of blows to the head, and it shows. And again, I don't mean this. I really don't mean this to be outrageous. I think it is. If you want us to talk about government stepping in, I love boxing. Okay, don't get me wrong. Well, when I was growing up, I loved boxing. I, I have, honestly, I haven't followed it for uh, several years before my dad died. I stopped, we both uh, stopped following it. I mean, um, it was a big thing in the 80s. I followed boxing, 90s. I followed boxing up until about the mid 90s or so, late 90s. And then it just got out of hand. About the time 
I mean, I followed it up until Lennox Lewis, and then after shortly after that, that was it. I couldn't tell you much about it now at all. Probably nothing. But I really think somebody needs to step in and and just revoke um, Evander Holyfield's boxing license. And I'm not for government intervention, but this is one of those cases where somebody has to have some common sense and say, this guy doesn't even know what he's doing. He doesn't even have the cognitive ability to know what he's doing anymore. Whoever his handlers are apparently want him to die. And again, I'm not saying this in any kind of exaggeration. If he were to fight for the heavyweight title, he'd probably get killed. He probably will. He is old and slow. And it's not like George Foreman when he was old and fighting. Because George Foreman, while he was old and slow and it was sad, if he actually hit you because he was still a very big man, if he actually hit you, it could be trouble. It's like a, it's like a, a titan swinging. You'd probably be able to get out of the way, but if it should connect with you, you're screwed. But Evander Holyfield, he just doesn't have it. In his last uh, 14 fights, he is 6-7-1, and one, including two straight well, I guess two straight, uh, yeah, two straight losses to uh, a couple of scrubs. But he's just fighting a bunch of nobodies right now. But in in two more fights, yeah, they want to. I don't know what do they want to do. I, I, they want to try a, a Rocky Balboa situation here. But even Rocky in those movies uh, wasn't forty seven years old. Well, yeah, the new one. He's like eight hundred and seven. I'm going to get out of this retirement home and I'm going to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. Uh, oh, oh, uh-oh. I, I, I need the bedpan. Vander Holyfield is really, it is, it's really pathetic. It really is. And in fact, I know the, the state of New Jersey uh, revoked his boxing license. Um, a couple other states did as well, but apparently in Las Vegas, they have uh, reissued his license so that he can fight there. Well, good job, Vegas. You guys, somebody is desperate for money and I can't quite figure out who it is, but uh, I can't, Evander Holyfield probably doesn't even know what money is anymore. And if he does, it, barely. And again, I know people are going to say, ah, come on, Mike. No, I, I, I mean it. it look at, I watched an interview with Evander Holyfield a couple of days ago, and this is where this rant comes from in the first place. When I read that he was going to, that he's still fighting and that he's going to try and, and win a couple more bouts so he can go for the heavyweight championship of the world, I said, this just can't happen. This is like Howard Cosell. Why isn't somebody stopping this fight? This is the biggest travesty of boxing ever. It really is. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <clears throat> I, I really wanted to, uh, to, to get that in. So um, there you go. Evander Holyfield. And Jeff didn't know he was still boxing. He, he's missing, you know, 
Listen, Evander Holyfield. It was you know it was, it's been over ten years. It's been almost it's like twelve years, I think, since uh, Mike Tyson bit his ear off. I think it might, it may even be thirteen. I think it's thirteen. I think no, I think it was June of nineteen ninety eight, if I'm not mistaken. It was either ninety seven or ninety eight. Could have even been ninety nine. We're gonna have to look that up. Now I have to go look that up. But really. Wow. All right, Mike at KMGX.com is our email address and the PayPal address. Should you be so willing and want to make a generous contribution to this fine program. What's that? Yeah, send money, please. Jeff in studio. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show, the screen name. EFNet IRC, Net Radio, the channel. And we'll take a break. Get back to it. Talk a little bit about the State of the Union address. Some of the other areas that government wants to get involved. Unbelievable. We also have to do the top 10 songs in the world of pop. Because it is Friday after all. And a whole lot more. It's Michael Graff in Exile back after this. You says the man behind the counter to the woman who has come in. She is shaking her umbrella. And I look the other way as they are kissing their hellos. And I'm pretending not to see them. And instead I pour the milk. Back with segment number two. Uh, Michael Graff in exile for a Friday. It's January 29th, 2010. Mike at KMGX.com. That would be the email address. Mike at KMGX.com. Also our PayPal address for your most generous donations. And... Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. EFNet IRC. Net Radio, the channel. See, it makes you wonder, whatever happened to these guys? Go West. They read a good song. Actually, I know they had a follow-up hit to this. I just can't remember what it is. And for me not to remember means... It wasn't much of a hit. I know it if I heard it, but whatever happened to these dudes? What's that? Yeah. They were go west and they went west. They got over themselves. Something. Maybe the record and the recording industry got over them. All right, so the State of the Union address from uh, the other night. Look, I, I... 
I've sat here and I've I've really been thinking about this. I've been trying to analyze it a lot, and and really, my initial analysis is it's a it was a speech that was long on style and short on substance, and that's really what it was. It was a situation where uh, part of the economic policy that Barack Obama was talking about was how he walked in the door to a big debt and how George Bush spent $3 trillion during his administration. And again, that's all well and good. And it's it's okay to blame the previous guy or the previous guys and, and say that you're not really to blame for the mess that we're in now. The problem that when you do that is, okay, the American people really don't care. The American people, they, they don't care who did what. They don't care how things got messed up. They want to know why things are still messed up and what it is that you're doing to try and fix them. And right now what they're seeing is they're seeing a lot of finger pointing. This is, this is not the first speech that you have brought up the Bush administration or the previous administration or the previous 10 years and blamed that for the problems that we have now. Even though part of that is true, here's where you fall short with the American people. You say, well, uh, I, George W. Bush spent uh, $3 trillion in his administration and racked up a $3 trillion debt. And there was a $400, trillion, $400 billion deficit on my way in. Okay, well, that's great. In your first year, your first budget, $1.3 trillion deficit. Three times more, more than three times what George W. Bush's biggest deficit spending year was. Now, explain to me then how that's helping the problem. I still, I, I've been asking this, I asked this on my regular show, I've been asking this for years. I asked this when Republicans had control of the House, I'm asking when Democrats have control of the House. Somebody needs to tell me how you get out of a debt by spending more money. Are we using the old adage of, well, you got to spend money to make money? I use this analogy on Wednesday, and I think it applies here. It's kind of like a gambler who's behind, and they decide, well, I'll just, I'll just throw $1,000 down next time. And then they lose that. So then they, they go, well, I'll spend $5,000. I'll get it back that way. They just keep chasing their bets. I, is, is the United States just chasing their bet at the roulette table right now? We're just we're throwing $1.3 trillion a year at it now and hoping that that turns it around. We're going to throw uh, $2 trillion at it next year and hope that turns it around. Then we're going to throw $3 trillion at it. Is that really our strategy? We're just going to keep chasing our bets? Because if that's what it is, just tell us so that we can be prepared. Right now, right now, the debt, U.S. debt, is at uh, almost $12.3 trillion, which means... If you do the quick math, the uh, the uh, each American, each man, woman, and child of the over 300 million in the United States, their burden of the debt now stands at a at just over forty thousand dollars, forty thousand bucks. Wow, that's a problem. It's going to be a little bit hard to pay off all that, don't you think? All right, so. Uh, so he, again, the, the finger pointing, the blaming of the previous, that's fine, but you haven't done anything to fix it. Matter of fact, you've made it worse. The other part of the speech that was interesting was Barack Obama talked about how he wants a spending freeze. Now, interesting because he laughed, he scoffed at the idea of a spending freeze back in 2008 during his campaign, 
saying that that's like taking a hatchet when a scalpel is necessary. The problem is, in this speech, he advocated a spending freeze, but then, two sentences later, asks for a spending bill to be put on his desk immediately. And he said that his spending freeze doesn't apply to all government entities or government programs. Well, then what the hell does the spending freeze apply to? Well, I, I institute a spending freeze, but we got to keep spending money. Well, then... Again, it's just, it's saying things. You're trying to please everybody. And in doing so, number one, you're making yourself look foolish. And number two, you're pleasing nobody. Even the people in your own party are really divided. They, they don't like Ben Bernanke, that's for sure. Uh, we talked about this again on Wednesday also. Barbara Boxer, who is one of the most liberal senators out there. She is just... On the left-right spectrum, she is way out there on the left, okay? She's almost all by herself. She's so far out on the left. She is totally opposed to the idea of Ben Bernanke. She is freaked out that the president still is supporting this dude. And that's something that needs to be pointed out as well. She's She just doesn't get it. And she's not the only one in the Democratic Congress who feels this way. So there was that. And then uh, he talked about uh, the don't ask, don't tell policy and uh, that he wants to get rid of that. He wants Congress to do it. I think if you want to get rid of that, just issue an executive order. Now, I understand. Look, the problem is that the next president could just come along and issue an executive order that cancels your executive order. So you want uh, you want it taken care of that way. But, you know, a president could still issue an executive order getting rid of it anyway. Uh, my theory on don't ask, don't tell is... Um, I I think it's kind of silly. I understand, you know, we there are homophobes um, and there are homophobes in the military and, you know, people use the old, well, if you're in a foxhole, you don't want some guy checking out your ass. Now, personally, I'm, I know I'm wired differently. I know I, I think differently than the average person. I know I really wouldn't give a crap. I wouldn't give a crap because, number one, I, my mind wouldn't be on whether or not some guy's checking out my ass. My mind's going to be on whether or not uh, a, mo a mortar shell is going to land on me and blow me to pieces. My mind is getting the hell out of there, getting the objective done and getting the hell out of there. I know people will be like, well, if you're in the shower and some dude's checking out your unit, you know what? Uh, fine. If a guy's checking out my, my wang uh, while I'm in the shower, that's, that's neat. Okay? I mean, I, who knows? I mean, people look anyway, even straight dudes. I don't know. I've I've never I haven't been in a shower with uh, with with guys uh, since summer camp in like where we were inappropriately touched. No, that's not true. Except for the inappropriately touched part. We were it was appropriate touching. Oh, and it was appropriate. Oh, no, but really, uh, it, it you know people. To me, don't ask, don't tell. I, I don't understand why it's even germane to 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 say it. Or I, I don't think, I really don't think most gay people that go into the military go in there to come out of the closet. I don't think they go in there and they like the first day of training camp. They're like, "Excuse me, Mister Sergeant, sir, Mister Drill Sergeant, sir. I just want you to know I'm gay." Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Private. <laughs> Private Skippy. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Private Skippy. 
Now dropping, you know what? You just don't drop. Just just stand there and stand there for a long time. Think about what you said. But really, uh, I I don't I don't think it's really. Um, I just think it's kind of a silly policy to have in the first place. It's just silly. It's just incredibly silly. Oh gosh, ooga! All right, so uh, that was another highlight of the of the speech. There was a few seconds devoted to national security. That's excellent. Uh, again, this is a this is a president that's having a hard time selling, and it's weird because if you hear the Democrats analyze the speech, it was it was as if Jesus was up there. A lot of them don't believe in Jesus, but it's as if some sort of deity, some sort of of divine being was here gracing us with his presence and speaking words of wisdom that we could all live by. And uh, the great unifier had once again reemerged. But then Republicans' analysis of it was, eh, what a bunch of crap. And the truth, the truth really is that there really wasn't a lot said. There was a lot of feel-good messages like we all need to come together and we all need to figure out what's, uh, what's best for this country. We all need to do... And that's, again, that's all fine and good. Great. Uh, figure it all out. Do whatever you got to do. I don't really care. The problem is, and the, the, the real issue here is that I heard a lot of talk, a lot of platitudes. I didn't hear a lot of solutions. I heard him blame the Republicans for the fact that health care hadn't been passed. And I heard him say that if Republicans want to ensure a 60 vote majority needed to pass things in, in uh, Congress, look, or rather in the Senate, uh, that's fine again, but you have the majority and you're not using it. Your own party is standing in the way. You can't blame the Republicans. I know it's a great scapegoat. I know it's a, it's a great idea when your approval ratings are dropping, blame the other party. I get it. That's politics. You want to blame uh, the media for being a bunch of, you know, using a bunch of sound bites against you. That's fine. Uh, you can look for all the scapegoats and all the villains you want. But at the end of the day, this is the thing. You are the president. Your party is in control of the legislative and executive branches of this government and by and large is in control of the judicial branch also. Uh, see the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That said, you can't get your message, you can't get your agenda passed. Why not? That sounds like a failure on your part, not the part of the Republicans. So maybe you might want to take a, a little bit of time and reevaluate your own situation. Well, apparently this speech was pretty amazing to some, though, particularly if you watched MSNBC's post-speech analysis, post-State of the Union address sort of uh, post-game show here. It was phenomenal. Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews were there, and they were covering it. And they were having a pissing contest to see who could kiss Obama's ass more. Well, um, if that's the case, then the definitive winner here is Chris Matthews. He went as far as to say that he forgot that Obama was even black. Here is Chris Matthews making perhaps one of the dumbest statements in 
television, quote unquote, journalism history. Chris Matthews, clearly, I I didn't even realize he was black. I mean, what? He was speaking so articulately. I, I was expecting him to come up there and talk about, I don't know, Yes, Massa. What was he? This this statement just doesn't make any sense. But here is Chris Matthews talking about the Obama State of the Union address. Well, thank God he said that because everybody does. You know, I was trying to think about who he was tonight. And uh, it's interesting. He is post-racial by all appearances. Uh, You know, I forgot he was black tonight for an hour. You know, he's gone a long way to become a leader of this country and passed so much history in just a year or two. I mean, it's something we don't even think about. I I was watching. I said, wait a minute. He's an African-American guy in front of a a bunch of other white people. And there he is, president of the United States. And we've completely forgotten that tonight. Completely forgotten it. I think it was in the scope of his discussion. It was so broad ranging, so in tune with so many problems and aspects and aspects of American life that you don't think in terms of the old tribalism, the old ethnicity. It was astounding in that regard. A very the old subtle tribalism. Fact. It's so hard to even talk ethnicity? about. I Maybe mean, I shouldn't talk about. But- wow. Yeah, he didn't come up there and he didn't start uh, banging on bongos. Or he didn't start beatboxing during the State of the Union address. I couldn't believe that he was black. I because he was so able to get in tune with the American people, I I forgot he was black. So what? Black people are generally not in tune with the American people. Black people are generally not able to convey messages that other people are able to understand. Well, holy mackerel, I, I done. Barack Obama is, I'm I going to give you a state of the unit address here. What was he expecting him to come out and talk about uh, Popeye's chicken or something? What was he expecting here? What does that statement even... Well, he is post-racial. What does post-racial even mean? Well, thank God he said that because everybody does. You know, I was trying to think about who he was tonight and... uh it's interesting. He is post-racial by all appearances. Uh, you know, I forgot he was black tonight for an hour. You know, he's gone a long way to become a leader of this country and passed so much history in just a year or two. I mean, wow, he's gone a long way. He forgot he was black tonight. He was so magnanimous a speaker, I actually forgot he was black. Most black people aren't even able to put together a sentence, let alone a whole speech, right? Is that what you're trying to say, Chris Matthews? Because that's really what it sounds like. It sounds like what you're trying to say is, this is the guy, this Chris Matthews, he's the guy that got a tingle up his leg when he heard Barack Obama speak. And he's going to sit here and tell us that he couldn't believe, he just can't fathom the idea of a black man as uh, being able to give such a great speech. Man, did he connect with the American people. He's he's kissing Barack Obama's ass so much that he's actually being insulting and really racist. It's something we don't even think about. I, I was watching. I said, wait a minute. He's an African-American guy in front of a, a bunch of other white people. And there he is, president of the United States. And we've completely forgotten that tonight. Completely well, forgotten. Luckily, you... Luckily, you didn't forget it. Luckily, you didn't forget that he was a black guy standing in front of a bunch of white dudes. What does that even have to do with the context of the speech? Here a guy is giving a speech about the economy. He's talking about health care. He's talking about uh, don't ask, don't tell. He is talking about uh, foreign policy. He's talking about all these different issues. And what you're focused on is whether or not he's black and standing in front of a bunch of white people and what that even means to the rest of the country and whether or not it's a historic event, what it it has to do because it was such a great speech. 
that it just doesn't have anything to do with the content of the speech itself. But then again, I guess since the speech was lacking in content, since it was lacking in substance, long on style, short on substance, uh, that I guess this is all there is to talk about. Chris Matthews tried to spin it later. He tried to say, you know, what I really meant to say was, he tried that whole thing. That's fine, um, but we're just going to take your first answer because that's really, uh, that's the more accurate assessment of what came out of your mouth, your first reaction. That's really more accurate. It was in the scope of his discussion. It was so broad ranging, so in tune with so many problems and aspects and aspects of American life that you don't think in terms of the old tribalism, the old ethnicity. It was astounding in that regard, a very mm -hmm. subtle fact. It's so hard to even talk about. I Maybe I shouldn't talk about it. It's so hard to talk about. I, I just can't believe it. Post-racial. If anybody can try and, and spin that and tell me what Chris Matthews really meant, I would love to know. I would love to know what he meant by that. But I don't think we're really going to get a solid answer here. Well, he is post-racial, and, and I just can't. I forgot that he was black tonight. What with that fantastic dialect that he has, the fact that not once did he say a man or a man. Not once did he drop the N-bomb in there. Not once... Uh, did he talk about blasting a, busting a cap into a white man's ass? Not once. Not once did he ask where his dogs, where are my dogs at? Not once did he do that, Keith. I have to tell you, that was admirable of him. And you know, he didn't, he didn't pull out his, uh, he, he, he pulled up in a car. He didn't, he didn't pull up in his Escalade with his $20,000 rims, uh, blasting a Snoop Dogg tune or, uh, yeah. A notorious B.I.G. He didn't have that rolling. He didn't have that roll. He just, he rolled up like he was a normal guy tonight. That's what he did. Couldn't believe it. Man, I was expecting him afterwards to say there's a, there's a whole table full of Popeye's chicken just sitting out there for anybody that wants some. Really? Uh, he is post-racial, you know. What an unbelievable set of comments. You know, getting back to the speech, though, this just reminds me of some of the other failures of this administration. I'm just, I was thinking about this speech, and I said, you know, the amazing thing about it is in the first year of the Barack Obama administration, you'd think that he'd give the State of the Union an address where he's made his mistakes and where his failures have come, and yet he hasn't. But luckily, you have somebody like me who's here to provide you with a list sort of off the top of my head that I just sort of came up with earlier today. You know, uh, of some of Barack Obama's uh, noted blunders in his first year and things that I think really should be brought to the table and things that really should be brought up and things that maybe uh, he could work on because he's going to have to. This is, uh, this is the year, okay? 2010 is the year where a lot of people are going to be thrown out of office. So if he can't get something done in the next uh, 10 or 11 months, he's just not going to get it done. I mean, just think about it. These are a few of the major points that Barack Obama has, has failed on. Number one, he tried to get Fox News uh, pretty much shut down. He tried to get them uh, out of the loop of the White House. Remember that? That didn't work out. I just saw a thing on Fox News. Fox News is the most watched 
news channel. It's not only just the most watched news channel. It is the most watched channel on basic cable, period. More than USA, TNT, TBS, Nickelodeon. It's more, it's more watched than CNN, MSNBC, any of those. It's more watched than any other basic cable channel. And it's not even close. So good luck getting that ticket. You remember uh, Barack Obama, of course, the failure with the Olympics. He tried to use his cloud to get the Olympic Games to Chicago. Ooh, that didn't work out. Obviously, healthcare, the healthcare situation, he's, he tried that. He's tried to get that pushed. The thing that really bothered me about the healthcare part of the speech is that the American people have said in poll after poll, and by contacting their various constituents, that they're tired of, of this health care system, the way it's being proposed. They don't want it. They're not interested. And yet, Barack Obama doesn't take the hint. He's like the guy that just keeps hitting on the woman that says no. No means no. And yet here he is. He's still just pounding away at it, just trying. And now he's trying twice as hard. And that's even what he said in his State of the Union address, that he was going to just... Tr- even try more vigorously to get health care passed. If somebody says no, if it is a rejected idea, then why do you keep pushing? Why? What good's it going to do? Of course, I was thinking about this too. This, And then uh, another point, another big failure, another big stumbling block is uh, the czars that Obama pointed. Remember he pointed that car czar, the automotive czar, and these other people... A lot of these guys that he appointed to these czar positions, a lot of them have had to quit. A lot of them have had uh, shady backgrounds with tax evasion or other things. Well, hell, the our financial secretary, Tim Geithner, cheated on his taxes, but he's still around. Can't imagine why things are going so badly. Uh, another big failure, Massachusetts. Barack Obama couldn't even get, he didn't have enough clout to get a Democrat elected in Massachusetts. If that's not the red flag of the year, then I don't know what is. But I think the most egregious thing, and there's something that really wasn't even pointed out in the State of the Union address, and something that really should have been pointed out, especially when he was, for those few minutes, talking about national security, is the idea that we're putting terrorists on trial here in the United States. Yeah. You know that Abdul Matalab, the, the underwear bomber? Is he, we were getting intelligence from this guy. The CIA was getting intelligence from this guy. And then Eric Holder, Eric Holder, our illustrious attorney general under the Barack Obama administration, Eric Holder Got a hold of this guy and Mirandized him. That's our attorney general. Nice job. We have uh, we have various people who are uh, we're doing that with uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Get ready for that circus. He's going to be tried in New York City now. Uh, the thing about the Abdul Muttalib situation is they wanted to try him in New York. And Mayor Michael Bloomberg said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. So now they're scrambling. They say, well, what, what are we going to do? 
What are we going to do with all these other terrorists that uh, since since Barack Obama gave the executive order to close down Guantanamo Bay, what are we going to do with these other guys? Where are we going to put them? Um, well, the original idea was they wanted to put them in Illinois. They wanted to, but they ha- we would have to spend $100 million to upgrade a prison facility in Illinois to store them there. And Illinois, a lot of people there are going, wait, wait a minute. We're going to shove a bunch of terrorists into this state well, they're being held at Guantanamo Bay. They're not all terrorists. You know, some of them might not be anyway. Maybe there's a chance. Probably they all are. But, you know, maybe they're not. And the people of Illinois are kind of going, well, uh, no. No, no we, we kind of don't want that. So these are just some of the major, major blunders that are going on here. But... Here's another one. And this is one I have to I have to talk about this because this is something I agree with in a sense. And I mentioned this at the top. I agree with Barack Obama on this point and I agree with the people that are that are going after this. However, I don't think the government should be involved in this at all. I've talked about college football on this show and my rants about how I, I just, I think the whole system is flawed. It's a, a system based on computers and ranking and not who the best teams are on the field of play, which is really what it comes down to, what really matters. But Barack Obama and uh, has said uh, even before he, this is one of the things I, I actually praised him for. One of the few things, but one of the things I praised him for is because he said, college football needs a playoff system. I said, right on. He called Kanye West a jackass also. And uh, I thought that that was pretty awesome. So there you go. Two points about Barack Obama that I like. But the problem here is um, now we have a Republican senator from Utah, Orrin Hatch, who wants legislation passed to ensure that college football has a playoff system as opposed to the current BCS system. Again, I believe college football should have a playoff system. And until it does, it's not legit. But the government going to sit there and try and mandate the NCAA to institute a playoff system in Division I college football? Just not going to happen. Shouldn't happen. It's... It's the NCAAs to run as they want to run it, even if it's totally screwed up, even if it makes no sense, even if they have computer rankings and they, and they have uh, some geeks sitting in an office in Seattle someplace with their pocket protectors crunching numbers, somehow coming up with the idea that uh, Texas and Alabama should be playing over Boise State. For the national, well, uh, Boise State, their their strength of schedule was uh, was was only twenty uh, third, whereas Alabama's was twenty second. Let's see if we put this in. Uh, carry the six. Uh, let's see. Uh, 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 with with x squared uh, minus two x. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what they're doing. But if that's how they want to do it, if that's how they want to come up with who plays for the national championship, it's their right. If they don't even want to have a national championship, they can do that too. If they want to have people vote on it, which is what they do, that's part of the equations in these computers, that's fine. 
Don't watch it. Don't get involved. Don't be interested in it. You can bitch about it. That's fine. But legislation, really? The Obama administration is considering several steps that would review the legality of the controversial bowl championship series. The Justice Department sent a letter to Senator Orrin Hatch on Friday to discuss this issue. In the letter, Orrin Hatch obtained, uh, this, is, this is a letter that was obtained by the Associated Press. Assistant Attorney General Ronald Weish wrote that uh, the Justice Department is reviewing Hatch's request and other materials to determine whether to open an investigation as to whether the BCS violates antitrust laws. Quote, importantly, and in addition, the administration also is exploring other options that might be available to address concerns with the college football postseason. Now, this is including asking the Federal Trade Commission to review the legality of the BCS under consumer protection laws. Well, the consumers already know that the BCS is a bunch of crap, but they willingly go to watch their team play. I don't know why. I don't know why a bunch of people came to the Fiesta Bowl to watch two teams that have no chance to win anything play, but I guess it's a game. It's, a, it's an exhibition game. It's just like, why do people come out here and watch the Chicago Cubs in spring training? Number one, you know they ain't winning crap anyway in the regular season. You know they're not going to win the World Series. Forget that. You're coming out here to watch them play the Brewers in, a, in an exhibition game? Why? Well, because it's the Chicago Cubs. A lot of people won't have an opportunity to go to Wrigley Field to watch them play. A lot of people won't have the opportunity to go to whatever city they happen to be playing in throughout the season uh, on the road and watch them play. A lot, it's, a, it's a convenience thing here. Plus, you never know. You could be seeing the next big star who right now might be wearing number 97. But pretty soon, that guy, whoever it is, you know, Joe Breadbox or whatever, might uh, eventually turn out to be somebody good. And you can say, well, I remember I was watching that Joe Breadbox back there in, in the spring training. He's good. I told you he was good. That's, you know, that's, the, that's part of the... Plus, it's cheap. But yeah, the games don't mean anything, but people know that going into it. If you watch a spring training game and you look for the outcome of the game to mean something, the Kansas City Royals dominate in spring training. They do. They play well. But that doesn't mean anything. They're, they're playing against other. That just means, hey, our scrubs are better than your scrubs. But the only problem is... Yeah, these yeah. The only problem is these scrubs. That's our everyday lineup. Like David DeJesus is standing out there going, Really? This is what I got? This is what I gotta play with? Really? Several lawmakers and critics want the BCS to switch to a playoff system uh, rather than the rating system that's used to determine teams that play in the national championship game. Quote, the administration shares your belief that the current lack of a college football national championship playoff with respect to the highest uh, division of college football raises important questions affecting millions of fans, colleges and universities, players and other interested parties, Weish wrote. 
again, I agree with all of it, except for I don't know if it violates antitrust laws. Or I don't know if it violates any codes with the F FTC, but I, I do know, I do know that a lot of people want a college football playoff system and it makes sense. I get it, but they don't have to do it and you can't uh, to pass legislation because I, I can tell you what's going to happen. Let's just say that somehow in some weird parallel universe, this gets passed. Okay. Let's just say that this actually goes through. It gets passed. Do you think that the, the PAC 10, the big 12, these other conferences, and do you think that the NCAA in general, do you think that they're going to tolerate this? Do you think that they're just going to take this lying down? No, they're going to get lawyers. They're going to go and, and challenge this law this thing will get tied up in litigation for God knows how many years. It'll probably eventually go before the Supreme Court. Can you imagine Judge Clarence Thomas? Can you imagine people just sitting there? Uh, Judge Alito sitting there trying to trying to go through the minutia of the college football playoff system idea. It could happen. And oh, by the way, it's it would all be happening on the taxpayer dime. And if you happen to be going to college, I'm sure those legal fees might be passed along in, I don't know, tuition? Maybe. Or maybe the, the cost of a, of, a, of a football game? Maybe. Hatch, a Utah Republican, was uh, steamed that his home state team was deprived of getting a chance to play in the national championship game last year. And again, that's true. I totally agree. I applaud that statement. That's fine. You just, the legislation is just too much. It's over the top. You just have to accept it. I'm sorry. We all know that college football as it is right now is crap. We all know that when they say every game counts, every game matters, every week is like a playoff. Well, we know that that's not true. We know it wasn't true for Utah. We know it wasn't true for Boise State. We know it wasn't true for Hawaii last year. Uh, when, you know, but they say, well, you should play better. You, you should uh, schedule better. Well, these schedules are made 10 years in advance. There are teams that won the national championship when Nebraska was doing so well, when they were contending for national championship, they were playing teams like Troy State. <laughs> they were playing Nickel State or, or, or some uh, uh, directional directional community college university of other of another direction of the state of Rhode Island or something. They were playing some crappy school someplace. They were playing cupcakes out of their conference. They were at Bob's Technical Institute. Bob's Clown College and Restaurant Training Culinary Institute. <laughs> They're playing the Scottsdale Culinary Institute, and for and if you saw some of these, if you saw the, the this Troy State football team, that's about what it looked like—a culinary institute. Okay, so when I get the when I get this little ball thing, you you're supposed to I'm gonna yell hike, and then you're gonna throw it back, and then we're gonna throw, and then we're gonna go down these little lines here, and then we're gonna try and I don't know and do get in the get in the goal thing. What what's the plan again? I don't know. Just 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 hike. So, unbelievable. 
That's what our government is uh, spending their time on. Luckily, all other problems have been resolved. Under the BCS, the champions of six conferences have automatic bids to play in the top-tier bowl games, while the other conferences don't. Those six conferences also receive more money uh, than the other conferences. Well, yes, they do. They do receive more money than the other conferences. And you know why? You know why the Pac-10, the Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, the Big East, you know why they receive more money? Because that's where all the major schools are at. That's where all the revenue-generating schools can be found. Uh, yes, uh, my God, uh, big secret, UCLA generates more money than Montana State. Shocking, I know. USC generates more revenue than University of North Dakota. I know, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, um, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't uh, North Dakota State University have the opportunity to play? No. I, I realize that they're not Division One, but I'm just... It's like, I'm sorry, uh, but yes, those teams, Troy State doesn't generate the same amount of revenue that Stanford does. It just doesn't happen. TCU was a great story this year, and they really did deserve to play for a national championship, and they didn't get the opportunity to do so. Why? Because the computers, the equations didn't think they did. Yes, there needs to be a playoff system. Yes, the current system is flawed. There's no question about it. And anybody that supports the BCS, the only reason to support the BCS is you just want to piss people off. That's why you support it. You just want to piss off uh, anti-BCS people. You just want to be uh, argumentative. And that's fine. If you want to stir the pot, if you want to play the devil's advocate or whatever the purpose is for advocating for the BCS, or you work for the BCS, you work for the Fiesta Bowl or the Orange Bowl. <laughs> you work in, maybe you're the, you're a, uh, a, a commissioner of, of one of the uh, major conferences. So yeah, you're going to support the BCS. The people that support the BCS either do so because they just want to be an ass or they have money. They have, they have financial ties to, yeah, it's part of their livelihood. That, those are the only reasons that people would support it. Can you imagine if we did the NFL that way? Well, the computers, I don't know, for some reason, these weird equations, they came up with the idea that uh, the Washington Redskins and the Tennessee Titans should be playing for the, <laughs> and the Oakland Raiders, the Redskins and the Raiders should be playing uh, for, the, uh, for the Lombardi Trophy. The Lions... Well, those are both NFC teams. Yeah, the, the NFC championship should go to the Lions and the Bucks. Why? I don't know. Because they had the toughest schedule. I don't know. The computers felt bad for them. The computers spit out a sad face on, the, on their image writer printers. After, after seven hours of printing to get two pages... Uh, they printed out a sad face and the teams that should play in the NFC title game. And so that's what your government is getting involved in. Well, that's not all, though. That's not all that came out of the State of the Union. I, I did forget to mention one thing. 
One very important point, and this is uh, something that Barack Obama, he went to Tampa to have another town meeting about this yesterday, and this is big, and this is going to do something for our economy. Now, I did point out on Wednesday, uh, we talked about how the latest stimulus, uh, the $787 billion stimulus, was already $150 billion over budget. (laughs) Whoops. But... Luckily, Barack Obama has an answer. He has a solution. He has a way to recover our economy very, very quickly. This is just part of the the Economic Recovery Act. And this is, I think this is going to work. The answer, ladies and gentlemen, trains. Yes, with technology right out of the 19th century, trains are the answer. I couldn't even believe it when he made this. Uh, I, I propose high-speed trains. High-speed trains. Now, look, I, I, high-speed trains are cool. Bullet trains are neat. Trains that go 200 miles an hour take people from here to there a lot faster. That's, that's all well and good. It's a great idea, but here's the problem. The and I again I have pointed this out before, but I, I have to. This is just these are just points that I have to hammer home. So the next five miles of extension of the light rail system here in the Phoenix area is going to cost about two hundred fifty million dollars. All right. Now, the proposed train system that they would have, the high speed train system that they would have running across California that goes from Sacramento to San Francisco down to Los Angeles and San Diego. That's going to be billions of dollars, billions. And I mean, a lot of billions, like hundreds of billions of dollars. California, there's a story out today that California is again at a budget crunch. They could run out of money by April 1st. And yet we're talking about building a high speed train system across the state of California. Who is funding that? Where are we getting the money for that? China doesn't want to lend us money for anything. What are we going to do? Just go to the printing press and, and bring some more out? We just inflate the dollar further so we can have some trains that go fast? Yeah, we're going to be on a train, all right. A high-speed train right to bankruptcy. Well, um, everybody is uh, homeless, but man, we have some trains that go really fast. That nobody can ride. Yeah, how much are those trains going to cost so we can recoup that? Well, it's we can take those people can take the bullet train. You can go from Sacramento to San Francisco and L.A. and San Diego for the low price of just three thousand dollars. I mean, how much are people going to have to pay for this? <laughs> I mean, he went down to Tampa to talk to them, and you know, do you know how much money? I just I just saw this. this is unbelievable. You know how much money they uh, are are allocating just for researching high speed trains across the country. You know how much money uh, each state is is getting a certain amount of money. At least some states are. So they're getting a uh, they're you know how much money they're spending on this just just the research of this idea eight billion dollars eight eight billion dollars for research into high speed trains. And uh, do you know how much money uh, that that $8 billion, do you know how much money is here in Arizona? you know how much money Arizona gets of that $8 billion? Close your eyes and tell me what you see. 
We get the big goose egg. That's right. We're wearing the collar. We get Jack Squat. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, well, you know, the fifth largest city in the country wouldn't need a high-speed train. Why, when we have the light rail that goes four miles an hour, what would we need a high-speed train for? <laughs> when we have a light rail that goes all the way from, like, Central and Camelback to Mesa, it doesn't even go there. Well, it barely does. Wow. Wow. That incredible stretch where just a ton of people are. Man, how useful is that? We couldn't possibly use a high-speed train that goes from, say, Tucson to Phoenix to Las Vegas. No, that would be useless. Luckily, though, we're going to build them in Florida. Because that's a great place to build stuff, especially when those hurricanes come along. That'll take care of that high-speed train situation in no time. And California... Well, look, I'm sure that'll be great until the next earthquake. Whoops. And I know you can tell me, well, yeah, Mike, they have bullet trains all over Japan and they're hit by earthquakes and yeah, that's fine. But, you know, uh, somehow I just I just don't trust that we're spending $8 billion on the research I, and I just don't trust that these things are going to get built <laughs> uh, very well. I'm, I just, I don't know. We call it... Call it the skeptical side of me. Call me cynical. All right, so that's the solution. Trains. Uh, yeah, trains. Hold on a minute. We got a call. Hold on. Hello, it's 1857. We'd like our technology back. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in other news, we're building telegraph wires. <laughs> I hear... I. <laughs> I hear we're spending $150 billion on movable type machines. <laughs> we're riding the technological wave of the future. And Japan is sitting and laughing at us. We can't get Wi-Fi built anywhere. We're crowing because we have the city of Philadelphia soon will have Wi-Fi everywhere. You know, probably within the next 10 years. One city... One city in the United States. That's good. Well, that's that's wonderful. We get some steamboats to go on the Mississippi. <laughs> you know, I I, I propose I, I should be a uh, senator from Arizona. I could run against John McCain. And my first proposal, my first bill. I would try and get five hundred million dollars so we could have some trolleys going. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be the kind from. Uh, they have to be the kind from Mister Rogers' neighborhood. We'd need that with the music and everything. Do 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 with the piano. Yeah, we'd have to have that going on. And uh, what's next? Oh, what else are we gonna get? Yes, transistor radios. Yes, we could spend. We could spend uh, thirty-five million dollars uh, to make sure we supply government offices with transistor radios, and uh, yeah, we could get some stuff from the Sea Crane Company. We could get some. Uh, we get. Some, we get the battery power, battery-operated battery chargers, and solar-powered night lights. I swear, this has got to be. 
this president, I, I will say this. I mean, the guy has got some unique ideas. I have not heard one president ever suggest going back a century and a half for technology to advance this country. What a great idea. Well, I mean, it worked back in the 1850s. It was a good idea back then. Do you know, we really did. It helped our economy. Building rail systems and, and moving west and, and going across, uh, bridging the gap between, uh, between east and west. The California gold rush was on. We needed a fast way to get there. People didn't want to take the Oregon Trail. I mean, unless you were the banker, you had a lot of money, but, you know, you had to leave in April or else, you know, it'd get too late in the year and a lot of people would get typhoid and die. Yeah, yeah, you have to make sure to get those wagons to float across the river. <laughs> do, you be do you believe this? Yeah, do you believe this? This is really, this is the most, I, I, I think Barack Obama's, uh, who's, who's his uh, science and technological advisor, Gutenberg? <laughs> the Monopoly guy? Well, Mr. Obama. Well, all you need is a thimble. <laughs> uh, I can't believe he's black either. I'm with Chris Matthews. All right, um, let's take a break. <laughs> this was, I, I, when I heard the train's uh, suggestion, my jaw dropped. It really did. And, and I just, I, I truly. I am horrified. I couldn't believe it. You know, a way to help this country would be motor, motorized carriages. If we could just get more motorized carriages on the roads, imagine what that would do. Of course, it could put the horse trade business out of business. But the good news is that motorized carriages have been proven to expedite transportation from point A to point B. Now, I know... I know many Republicans, I know that one of my predecessors, Grover Cleveland, was against the idea of a motorized carriage, but I tell you right now, he, was wrong. he served in two non-consecutive terms, and that means he's wrong. And, and quite frankly, I listen, I don't even know what I'm saying at this point, because I'm suggesting ideas that are 150 years old. So who the hell knows? <laughs> Tippy Canoe, <laughs> Canoe will be my running mate in 2000. I'm dumping Joe Biden uh, for William Henry Harrison and, uh, and Millard Fillmore and Martin Van Buren. That will be, those will be uh, the people on my cabinet. <laughs> really? So, what's that, Jeff? I, I, you know, you're on. Did he even say why the trains would need help? Or did well, okay. This is part of the Economic Recovery Act, and he boasts that this is part of the Economic Recovery Act. The problem is, this is it creates jobs, but here's the problem. This is for something that's not needed, not necessary, something nobody is really asking for, and... We don't have the money to pay for it. Where is the money coming from? That's the thing. 
with all of Barack Obama's policies, there's no answer. This is the fundamental question that nobody is able to answer. Where the hell is the money coming from? It's not coming from the taxpayers. They ain't got no money because a lot of them are out of work, so they're not paying taxes. It's not coming from the, from the rich because they're laying off people, so they're getting less money, and that means they are spending less money. It's not coming from the printing press because our money is worthless. We can't even uh, print money fast enough to make it worth our while. We can't borrow enough money from the Chinese. Seriously, I ask this question in all sincerity. Where is the money coming from? Where is it going to come from? The Monopoly guy. Well, the damn Monopoly box, it only has, what, $10,000 in the bank. This money isn't real. Well, neither is ours, really. I mean, we, it's the same thing. Our money isn't real either. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we've, we went there. Mike at KMGX.com. That's the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. It's the roaring 1840s, and you are there with the Barack Obama administration. Do we do we have some more appropriate music? Hang on a minute. I, I just gotta. I have to do this because I think this would have been a much better bumper. Hold on, let me go and find it. This is gonna take me a minute to to do this. I gotta get the satellite. Here we go. Turn this off for a second. All right. I think this is, I think this is a uh, a far a far better example here. Music that's so bad you have to crank it way, way up. <laughs> I think while he was giving the State of the Union address, he should have been playing this. My fellow Americans. I believe this nation should commit itself of landing a man in the Louisiana Territory and returning him safely to New York. No single travel project during this time shall be more important to the history of mankind or the long-term exploration of the North American continent. Imagine one day people might discover 
an ocean on the other side of this continent. Or they'll fall off the edge of the world. We don't know. But I think with these motorized carriages, which I, using my plan, we could have them in 200 years. By the way, this segment has been 59 minutes long. Uh, the music, uh, we just want to thank the fine folks at Sirius Satellite Radio for providing this. Uh, I, I, I went to the 40s channel for, the, for this music. All right. Um, let's, let's take a break. And we should just use the 40s music to go to break. Yeah. Let's see if... Uh Alright, we'll take a break. <laughs> we'll come back. It's uh, Michael Graff in exile. Enjoy just a little of the... Uh, the tunes of the administration. You know, in a way, I actually, I thought this music right here, this used to be like the United Airlines music they'd use in their commercials. A modernized version. What song is this? Hang on, let me look this up. This is Paul Whiteman... Rhapsody in Blue. Little uh, Paul Whitebud for you. 55 KOY. It's actually not 55, it's 1230 KOY now. Seriously, we'll be back. It's uh, segment number three of Michael Graff in Exile for a Friday, January 29th, 2010. We keep going. It'll be Saturday. Almost is. Yeah, we, we did the, the podcast a little late tonight. What can I say? How long is this show? I think it's like seven hours now. A little bar tinker for you on your Friday night. It's your Friday night party station, 1047. Kiss FM. 
taking it back to the 80s. Well, uh, number one song. I was on the chart for six weeks. Number one back in 1999. Uh, with a shock at number one she was only 19 years old one of the youngest female artists to have a number one shag this would of course be her only number one shag of her career <laughs> she it Back when music, back when music on the pop charts was actually still tolerable, which of course leads me to this. It is unfortunately that time of the week, that time of the program where we do this. Regrettably, but well, I don't know how to finish that sentence. It is the top 10 songs in the world of CHR Pop. These are the 10 most played songs based on radio airplay data provided by MediaBase 24-7. They, they keep track of every spin that occurs of every top 40 radio station across the country. Of course, they call CHR stations. That stands for Contemporary Hit Radio. <laughs> All right, so uh, these are the songs that are making all the uh, radio airplay at uh, radio stations. They should Talk about. Talk about. No. All right, here we go. Number 10 on the chart this week. Oh, no. Wait a minute. You mean this song? This song soon might be falling off the chart. Jeff, it's your song, Owl City, Fireflies. We're obligated by contract to play this part specifically for Jeff. Cause I get a thousand hugs from ten thousand lightning bugs as they tried to teach me how to dance. A fox trot above my head. My my pending root canal sounds much more appealing than this. Alright. That's number ten, so almost out of the top ten, Jeff. You can take some solace in that. This song is it's almost gone. But the fact that it did peak at number one should be a bit of a concern.
allergic to this song. I just start sneezing. All right, number nine. I, and, you know, I'm, I do apologize. I, I realize that the whole show, I've just been sitting here just sniffling into the microphone. I know. Hold on. Yeah, just like that. I know that that's annoying, but whatever. All right, number nine. It's uh, Rihanna featuring Jeezy with really one of the most god-awful tunes I've heard ever on this or any other universe. This is called Hard. And as I said, it doesn't make me that way now. My song sucks. Yep, you noticed. Oh yeah, I did. Wow. Number eight is Orenthi. Uh, according to you, this made it into the top ten. They actually play their own instruments. No way. I'm stupid. I'm useless. I can't do anything right. According to you, I'm difficult, hard to please, forever changing my mind. I'm a mask in a dress, can't show up on time, even if it would save my life. According to you. So that's um, Aranthi, according to you, at uh, number uh, eight on the uh, pop chart. Number seven is Taylor Swift featuring Boys Like Girls. Maybe I think it's actually Boys Like Girls featuring Taylor Swift. Whatever. It's two is better than one. Sean featuring Sean Paul and Lil John at number six with Do You Remember? Hey, Sean Paul. This one right here. All right. 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 All right
How's that guy like order a pizza? Like a pepperoni pizza. Patrick. He calls out. I mean, does this guy like when he gets on the phone? He's like, "Hey man, what's up? What's little John?" Does he go, "Hello, I'm, I'm hello, yeah, hi, hi, I'm little John. Hey, what's going on? Are you really little John? Yeah." I can't even do my my little John impression this week. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm depriving the audience of it. All right. Uh, Empire's state of mind. Jay-Z is at number five. I have a bit of a burping problem from that little John impression. Loosen things, thing, some things up. Uh. This doesn't just loosen things up. This just makes me want to play and throw up all over the microphone. Going to McDonald's, ordering a number 13 without the cheese. That's what I get. That's really what I order there. Plus, that's the Angus burger, but I just get it without cheese. Yeah. Uh. Nets. Hey, the Nets, by the way, he mentions it. Uh, the Nets did something amazing the other night. They won a game. They played the Clippers. <laughs> the Nets are now 4-40. Four and 40. They, they avoided the record for the worst 44-game start in NBA history, which was last set by the 1993-1994 Dallas Mavericks, who started 3-41. and 41. Yes, Jeff, they did have Mashburn on the team and Jackson. Wasn't Dick Mata the coach of that team? Wasn't that the team that they would just sit there and they even prided themselves on being the team that would shoot more threes than anybody. If I'm not mistaken, there was a game, there was a Sunday afternoon game between the Mavericks and the Suns. I know that Charles Barkley was on this team. I know Dick Mata had to be the coach. It might have been 94-95, but regardless, the Mavericks were so horrible. Why this was on NBC, I still will never figure out. But anyway, I think the Mavericks put up something like 53 three-pointers in that game or something. It was like, it was over 50. And I think they made like seven. (laughs) I mean, if I remember right, they did wind up scoring the Mavericks. They lost the game, but they did wind up scoring like 109 points in the game, but primarily because they hoisted up more than half their shots, more than like two thirds of their shots were threes. So just by the old, blind squirrel finds a nut philosophy. Uh, They were bound to make some of them. All right. So anyway, yeah, that was number five at Jay-Z empire state of mind. He brought up the nets. So I just, I really wasn't going to comment on the song because we all know how bad it is, but it just reminded me of other things that are bad. Like, you know, the New Jersey nets. And speaking of the Knicks, since he mentions the Knicks in there, uh, Jeff, the Knicks had a great game the other night. They lost by 50. (laughs) It's not, it's not going well for Mike D'Antoni in New York. 
they, they lost by 50. All right, I'd rather talk about a team losing by 50 than play number four, but we're doing it anyway. Number four is Ayaz Replay. Shardy's like a melody in my head that I can't keep on. Got me singing like, na 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 na. Every day it's like my eye frost. Like a replay, replay. Shardy's like a melody in my head that I can't keep on. Got me singing like, na na na. You know, after hearing this, I, I really do think maybe Don't Ask, Don't Tell is a good idea. Replay. Remember the first time we met you was at the mall with your friends. I was scared to approach you, but then you came closer, hoping you would give me a chance. Who would have ever knew that we would ever be more than friends? We're railroad white, breaking all the rules. Just all right, David Guetta is at number three with uh, with Sexy Chick. The song that sounds a little bit like Just Dance in this part. I'm gonna mash that up. I'm copywriting that idea. It's done. Damn, you was a sexy chick. You was a sexy chick. Damn, I sound creepy. Damn. Again, if you really want to make this song creepy, just imagine he's singing this to a 12 year old. That's how I've ruined I've ruined so many songs that way. Well, yeah, and if you want to imagine the song is crappy, just listen to it. And you don't really have to imagine. It doesn't it doesn't take a real overactive imagination to go that far. Okay, there you go. Number uh, three this week. Believe it or not, that song's making its way up the chart. I know. It's, it's yeah, it's making my lunch go up too. If, if by up the chart, you mean going up my esophagus, then yes, that's exactly what that's doing. Uh, all right, number two. Hey, look, look who it is. She's still holding on to number two. It, he, Still holding on number two, it's Lady Guy Guy Bad Romance. Uh, number two on the chart this week. The Infectious Lady Guy Guy. Uh, um, I, I, I got a couple of comments on uh, on email. People, um, somebody right now that one of my uh, one of my podcast listeners is working on uh, putting together a video with um, 
morphing Janet Napolitano over over Lady Gaga. Over Lady Gaga. Can you imagine what that would that would look? Uh, all you'd have to do is just take one of our press conferences. Just I don't know. Just try that. I, You better do it quick because I don't think Jenna... Well, Jenna Napolitano shouldn't have a job anymore, but she still does. I think Lady Gaga would make a better uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. In a bad Lady Gaga and uh, Jenna Napolitano. Now, here's here's the here's the real question. Which of those those two is more likely to have a penis? I... Yeah, I think, well, I don't know. I think maybe Janet Napolitano has the testicles and Lady Guy Guy has the, has the penis. And if you don't know what we're talking about, yes, we're pretty sure Lady Gaga is a man. We're pretty sure. Or partially man. The, the ring finger is longer than the index finger. The universal sign that you're a dude, especially on the left hand. And that and that takes us up to the number one song of the nation. It's a song that really, really blows by an artist who got his start while she was the backup singer for Florida. Where the hell is Florida right now? Probably working at a Popeye's Chicken with Chris Matthews. No, really, uh, the number one song is, um, it's terrible, and I'm not sure how it got to be the number one song, but it did. Here it is. It's uh, Kesha, K-E dollar sign H-A. I have to remind you of the spelling because. Well, I, you know what? I would think that would be Keisha. Well, I think it's. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a white chick, so I don't know. But whatever. Here's TikTok. Just dance dada doo You know, in that talking part, you know what's the most amazing part? As I listen to it very closely, they use a pitch wheel in the talking part. No, I'm not. I'm not making that up. Listen really closely. Here, here. Already here. It's it's digitized. Wow. People can't even talk without a pitch wheel anymore. I have to make sure that my my talking part sounds perfect. And we're already here. 
Wow. Because everybody getting crunk. I don't even know what that really means. I'm I'm guessing that it means they're all getting high. I'm I'm, I'm thinking crunk everybody. Everybody means everybody. For those of you uh, non crunk uh, people out there, I, I believe that that's what that means. So everybody getting crunk, and boys try to touch my jug. So in other words, guys are trying to touch her, which I just don't believe. Um, uh, having seen her, um, and then there's. <laughs> And then um, gonna smack him if they get too drunk. Okay, all right. There you go. Unless they look like Mick Jagger, which. So, in other words, unless a seventy-year-old dude walks up to you and. I don't even know what they're saying there. I heard, I got that part. But then, like, the shoe polish is down or something. Give me a give me a date. What was the date where music totally went poop? Can we do we have like a definitive day where it just the day that the music actually died, do we know? Because it did happen. There was a definitive turning point. I just don't know. I know it was in the 90s somewhere where the pop chart just went completely bad. It. I'm guessing it was about the time. Now I got to think about this. Was it about the time that snow hit the pop chart? Well, yeah. Was it about the time? Was it about the time that this song hit? You know, when I hear this song, though, this is better than Kesha. A leaky boo man. A leaky boo boo bear. Price is right. No, really, I don't know what they're saying. There. I, I, Snow doesn't know what he's saying. I'm pretty sure in an interview he's just like, you know what I did? I just put a bunch of syllables together, and on the first take it sounded so good, we kept it. And the engineer looked at me and said, what did you just say? And I, and, and I said, you know what, man? I don't know. And then three months later, I was in a gas station pumping gas. <laughs> We don't understand where we went wrong. <laughs> we thought we you just go into a studio, make a bunch of noise. Yeah, unfortunately, Snow. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, Snow. Little did you know that you'd have to wait ten years to to be able to do that. See, if Snow tried to make a comeback now, this would this would have been a hit. Just dance. TikTok. On the clock, don't stop. Everybody getting crunk. Everybody getting crunk. Gonna smack them if they get too drunk. That would have worked.
So there's got to be like a definitive date. If anybody knows the, the date, the exact date that music went to total crap, um, let me know so we can uh, so we can have that for, for record because I'm trying to look it up right now and I, I'm not getting anywhere. Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely after, uh, it was definitely after I, it was definitely before I Kamozi. It's amazing. This song was a hit. Wasn't a huge hit, but it was a hit. The fact is Jeff's sitting over here. You can't hear him, but Jeff's sitting over here. He knows all the words. That's about, that's definitely, it was definitely before then. And if it was before then, it was most certainly before, um, well, I think, it, I think it goes without saying that it was before like the thong song or, uh, do we even have thong song in here? Let me see. Yes, actually we do. Here it is. Here's the thong song. Not just urban, she liked the pop cause she was living la vida loca. She had dumps like a truck, truck, truck. Guys like what, what? So it was definitely before then. It was definitely before. Uh, it was definitely before this. So it was in the nineties somewhere. It was right around the time it was, you know, like Pearl Jam came out in the early 90s. It was sort of like right around there. We're, we're going to, I think we're zeroing in on 1991. Because there was good, there was good music on the chart. Well, it's, it's deceiving because there was still good music on the chart all throughout the 90s, but it was, it was just getting less and less. It was just getting more and more sporadic, I should say. Yeah, Losing My Religion, that was on there. That was, that was all right. There you go. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. Like losing my religion. I don't know. It was right around then. All right, so that's a look at the pop chart for this week. And it was uh, pretty depressing. Though it, it has been worse. We've actually had worse, but uh, taking a look at some of the other songs that are on the pop chart, some of the songs that we lost this week uh, that fell out of the top 10. What You Say by Jason Derulo. Thank God we're out of that. Oof. Um, that's about the only song that fell off the chart this week. Uh, I'm looking for anybody that's coming up that's uh, interesting. And I don't see anybody that's really close to the top 10 right now. But get ready. I should warn you. Black Eyed Peas have another song uh, that's about to enter the top 10. I'm a B. Ooh. I'm excited. 
All right. Well, that's about going to do it. I think uh, this has been the uh, the 16 hour edition. It is Saturday, by the way, right now. Uh, this is the this has been the 16 hour edition of the uh, of Michael Graf in exile. Uh, if you actually had the wherewithal to download and listen to this entire podcast, you deserve a special prize. I don't know what I would possibly give you. Uh, a gold star, perhaps my own personal uh, seal of approval. You know what you win? You win um, the greatest hits of Aini Kamozi. Well, without uh, at the risk of uh, totally ruining the CD for you, all right. I, I just so happen to have it here. I've just uh, just put the CD uh, in here from the prize closet. Here it is, uh, track one. And uh, here's a little bit of uh, track two. And, uh, oh, there's 14 tracks on here. Let me see what track 14 is. Hold on a minute. Here we go. Track 14. Well, apparently, uh, that's, that's your prize. If you stuck with it. Congrats. It's the worst hits of 1995. Yours on CD for only $39.95. You'll get songs like this and... I think this was actually 1994, but... Let me, uh, let me, uh, let me check this here just real quick. Yeah, 1994. Oh, if you get this, then you get Crystal Waters with 100% pure love. Also included, Sophie B. Hawkins right beside you. Actually, I like, I like right beside you. I think it's a deep song. We used to play that on our station. I think we still have that. See, I should I should host a music show. Why not? Oh, here you go. Yeah, you get you get the greatest hits of 1994, including Sophie B. Hawkins right beside you. Don't forget the Euro pop sensation, Real McCoy. With their huge smash hit, Another Night, which sounded like every one of their other songs. Greatest Hits of 1994 Featuring 
featuring such memorable performances by La Bouche. I think this is 1995, actually. But But who cares? The songs were so bad that you'll think they were all from 1994. You know, I actually like this song. You know, I used to hate this music when when it was... When I was... 1994, 95, I was about 17, 18 years. I hated this. But now, given how crappy the music is, this is actually good. you order now we'll throw in we'll throw in fun factory at no extra charge Throw in the instrumental version. Normally, normally this pile of crap would cost eight cents, but it could be yours for just three easy payments of twenty nine ninety five to Michael Groff Enterprises LLC. <laughs> You'll get a CD where I write crap music on it with a sharpie. Uh. In fact, you'll get all of Fun Factory's hits. Including Don't Go Away. Don't go away. Please stay by my side. And Close to You. Oh, baby, talk to me. Which sound like the other songs. I'm the shyest girl in the whole wide world. So come on, take my hand and make me understand. I want to be with you. I want to be so close to you. You know, if we played Real McCoy or Fun Factory or LaBouche, it would sound, it would all sound so similar. I don't think anybody would, if we just transitioned between one song and another, I don't think anybody would notice. It's, it's smooth. See, you might call this this podcast a waste of digital space, but we call it a way to pimp some of the greatest songs of 1994 and 1995. Like when I hear Kesha, I, I think, man, Real McCoy were music geniuses.
Well, we could always throw in uh, we could always throw in a great song by by Robin. It does. It does sound like that. It does sound like Brit- it's. It's the. It's the earlier version of Britney Spears. Hit me, baby, one more time. Now this is not to be confused with Robin S. Because those are very different artists. Robin and Robin S. Robin is R O B Y N. But see, Robin S, if I'm not mistaken, was R-O-B-I-N-S. <laughs> like Harry S. Truman. This is really, this is inspiring me to do a 90s show. But just, we, we have to do like some of these either one hit wonders or. Yeah, like have it. It's a 90s black party. Well, technically this would be, I think this is 1989 right here, but. Yeah, this is actually labeled as 1989. This doesn't count. Yo. But it was on the chart in 1990 also. Shake that body. Shake this would be Technotronic, Jeff. People, don't you know? Don't, don't you know? know it's up by time? Can you hear the gym? I think this is uh, 89 also. Oh, no, I don't think so. Actually, it is. See, I have, we have a, a lot of music in here. And here's more Technotronic. But this just reminded me, this, all this music just, it, it feeds off of one another. Like you hear one song, then you think, that reminds me of, and then you think of something else. See, this would be 1989 technically, and this is about where this is about where it started. It, it it was starting to turn, but I don't know. Then yeah, yeah, you had like Salt and Pepper. Yeah, this was still in the 80s. And early 90s. Yeah, this song is, uh, this is like 1986, though. Then there was Shoop. 
Now, Shoop, that's 1993. And a lot of songs that had this same kind of sound were coming out then, like TLC. Yeah, here you go. Yes. Yes. It's me again. And I'm back. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think this is about, that's about the point. I think we could narrow it down about 1993, 94, somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, because 94, you know the biggest artist of the year in 1994? You know who they were? The biggest artist of the year was? You know how big this artist is? You know how big uh, Ace of Bass was? Yeah, uh, huge. Huge. I heard this in a casino today. Yeah, yeah. But this was on after, uh, after uh, I don't even after TLC I think or something. They were having a '90s block party themselves. Other music news. I just should point out. I, I have to mention this. So the most downloaded song on iTunes of all time. Jeff, you have a guess of what that might be? All right. The most downloaded song on iTunes. It is Quintuple Platinum. Five million downloads is this song right here. Unbelievable. And they say Apple users are smart. This is the biggest indictment against Steve Jobs I think there could be. I mean... Five million downloads of Lady Gaga Just Dance. There you go. Gonna be okay. Dada doo doo. Okay. Um, I think we can leave now. It's almost Sunday. We've, uh, we've... We've transitioned from Friday to Saturday to Sunday. This is it's your weekend party station, the Michael Graf, the Michael Graf podcast. That is because we never shut up. Really, I could probably just sit here and talk music and just play music all night. Really, uh, I, when we did the uh, the countdown show, I used to, um, and I've, I've thought about bringing back the uh, the countdown show, the weekly um, uh, top thirty USA, actually, and. Um, that would be actually a, a good show to bring back. The problem with doing that is that I can't imagine somebody would download the three-hour show because it was. It was like a three-hour show. It was a three-hour um, whole bonanza of music. And um, 
But then I'm just thinking about this. I'm like, this show has been three hours and people are willing to slum through this. So I don't know. Why not? And uh, I was soliciting um, ideas. Uh, Somebody says that 1991 was, uh, listen, 1991 was a great year for music. Without 1991, we would have never had London Beat. Pow pow. Again, this is way better than TikTok on the clock sounds. This is way better than uh, Bad Romance. Well, no, nothing's better than Bad Romance. Gaga ooh la la. Especially with the idea of Janet Napolitano in the video. London Beat is too, uh, it's, it's too good. I can't turn it off. All right, that's it. We've covered it all tonight. Um, we've covered everything from the State of the Union to the State of Music uh, to the State of College Football and government interference into that. Did a little bit on health care, a little bit on uh, trials for terrorists. Yes, we're actually putting terrorists on trial here in the United States. We are giving them lawyers and Miranda rights um, everything that uh, they are getting the full access of our justice, even though uh, they should be facing military tribunals, if not just all out killed. And that includes that includes the Pakistani woman that's currently on trial in New York. What's this, that? Her name is like Afa or Ufa, something or other. This woman is on trial, and before, as the trial was starting, she saw the jurors. And she stood up and she addressed the judge. She said uh, that she started screaming that she wanted every juror tested to see if any of them were Zionist, um, extremist, or Jews. She wanted them all tested to see if they were Jews. And if any of them were, then it, 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 it was hatred. It would be immediately a biased and unfair trial. And she has the right to a fair trial, you know. And this woman... I should point out that this woman isn't just some random woman that we picked up in Iraq or Afghanistan that we think might be a terrorist. While she was in Pakistan, she went after Pakistani and American officials that were there. She picked up an M4 rifle and uh, just started shooting at people. So um, that's why she was arrested. And that's why she's lucky to really be alive. She really should have just been shot right there and killed. Um, but since we're apparently we're more civilized than the people that we're fighting against or we're just dumber than the people we're fighting against because we actually bothered to arrest and capture them rather than just immediately destroy them, um, we're putting this woman on trial and she is, um, yeah, she has a lawyer. She has, she has a lot of conveniences that people that get picked up for crimes on the streets in the United States do not get. 
Yeah, and she's getting publicity. Now, it's not necessarily positive publicity, but um, yeah, so it's, and it's been a circus. They've already had a couple of jurors that have uh, excused themselves because of people that have been giving them suspicious looks from the gallery while they're uh, in just sitting here trying to uh, listen to the testimony in this trial, uh, including one guy that was in that in a headdress. He was in the gallery uh, and there's juror intimidation that was going on there. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that we have to worry about when we're trying this Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and this uh, Abdul Muttalib, the underwear bomber. All these guys are people that we have to, this is the kind of circus that we're opening ourselves up to. Thanks a lot, Barack Obama. Thanks a lot, Eric Holder, our esteemed attorney general. So thanks a lot to them. Shapow pow. Really? What? Yeah. Now, this is a band I'd love to know what happened to. What happened to London Beat? Yeah, people want to know what happened to London Beat. Hell, The Fix still goes around on tour with their two hits. One thing leads to another in Red Skies at Night, so why can't we see London Beat in concert? You could probably hire them for your wedding for like 500 bucks. Just do a 90-minute version of I've Been Thinking About You. Pow, pow. Some guy, somebody probably told somebody, hey, I want you to check out this podcast. There's this guy, um, this, this Michael Groff show. Try to, try to check out this podcast. This guy, if he's gotten this far, he's probably going, what the F am I listening to, really? I'm listening to a guy uh, playing London Beat. <laughs> don't, don't, don't they have better things to do? And the answer is um, no. I mean, Jeff's here playing WoW or, or something. Uh, I'm here talking into a microphone, potentially at nobody. And uh, I mean, te- well, yeah, technically right now I'm talking to Jeff. I'm not even really talking to him. I'm, I'm in here. I am literally talking into a microphone and a computer monitor where I'm staring at my own voice being uh, modulated, being projected in waveform into our recording software. So really, I am talking to nobody right now. You know, but I'm in love with the looks of my own voice in waveform. So that's why I'm still talking. Uh, look at my voice. But really... All right, that's it. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Groff Show, if uh, for whatever reason you would like to comment on this program. Well, people like the long podcast, so you you got your long podcast. Yankees win the Yankees win. (laughs) All right. Is that is that it? I mean <laughs> It's a Johnny Rocket. All right. Uh, okay, if we're gonna empty them all, just go ahead, hit me. 
Martin, the right-hander, is set about chest high. The payoff. Swung on and hit in the end of deep right center. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Another big hit for Johnny Damon. He drilled it in the right center field bleachers. A three-run home run. It's a Johnny Rocket. And the Yankees take a 5-3 lead. <laughs> Uh, I am looking forward to baseball season, but I'm not looking forward to that. And if I'm not looking forward to that, then you also know what else I'm not looking forward to. Uh, I'm not. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not looking forward to. Uh, I'm not looking forward to this. What is it? It's an A-bomb from A-Rod. And the Yankees take a first inning, 3 nothing lead. Yeah. All right, thanks. Yeah, the truth of the matter is, I was just waiting for our uh, orchestra to compose the, uh, the closed music again because we lost it. So I, I had to wait for that. That's why we've done a three-hour show. But here it is. No, we're back on Monday. This is I'm try. I was trying to make up for the fact that we hadn't done a podcast in a couple of days. We only did. Uh, I think we only did two this week. I had reason. We talked about it. It's busy, living life, or something. All right, next week, um, it's countdown to Super Bowl. I'll have my exciting Super Bowl prediction. You probably already know what it is. The line in Vegas has the Colts favored by six. And the Colts are going to win by two touchdowns. So, screw the Saints. I got in an argument with a guy about this yesterday. You know, it's time for the most overrated team to make it to the Super Bowl since the New York Giants of 10 years ago. It's time for that team to be exposed. And that team is the Saints. Uh, Drew Brees and uh, the the Katrina Saints, or rather the New Orleans Saints, uh, they are, they're going to get exposed. They're going to get exposed badly. Position by position, player by player, Colts are a better team, period. The end. And that's that. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be watching the Pro Bowl this... <laughs> no. <laughs> Please, I'll probably be doing anything else. Uh. All right. <clears throat> Thank you to uh, Jeff joining us in the studio. Thanks to Aini <clears throat> Kamozi for providing the music for this program. <laughs> and Snow and London Beat. We're back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. And um, by the time this podcast is posted, because it was so damn long, uh, it will probably be Monday. So you can... Monday of February 2034. We'll see you then. Good night, everybody.